Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another Missing Monday for you guys. For those that are new to our podcast, I first want to say welcome. I hope you guys stick around and not only enjoy our podcast, but also learn about new cases that you haven't ever heard about before. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. It is our hope here at Crimeaholics to not only share this information, but to also let the families of those missing know that we have not forgotten their loved one. Oftentimes, after the hype of a missing person dies down, communities who were so invested and involved go back to their normal lives, and the missing person almost seems as if they were forgotten. I never want a family to think that their loved one is forgotten, because for us, they are not forgotten, and their story and name are important. Today's case is one that has a lot of unknowns to it, and a lot of working parts that can sometimes be overwhelming when looking at a missing person's case. However, her family and loved ones need answers. So without further ado, let's get into the disappearance of Samantha Sperry. Again, I mentioned in the intro to this case that it is a little overwhelming to go through. There's so much information out there, and some are even conflicting about the date of when she even went missing. There is just so, so, so much information on this case. So I'm going to do the best that I can uh, to piece this all together. Like I said, there's just a lot of working parts to this case, and so I did the best best I could to get the information as accurate as possible. So Samantha Sperry was 25 years old when she went missing in March of 2018. She was born on August 20th, 1992, and she grew up in Simsonia, Kentucky. She went to high school at Graves County High School, and Samantha was described to be someone who was very driven, and when she put her mind to something, she would achieve it. She had a hard-headed and stubborn personality. She was very outspoken, outgoing, and she was just overall a very confident young woman. Anything that Samantha was thinking, people would know. So people always knew where they stood with her. If she had something to say, those who knew her knew that she would just say it. Samantha got married and had two children and did everything she could to ensure that her children had a great life. She also was very family-oriented and was very close with her immediate family. She spoke to at least one person in her family every single day, at least once a day. According to WKMS, Samantha's aunt, Amanda Stevens, said that she and her family often teased Samantha for being a terrible chef, but where she failed in the kitchen, she thrived in the garden. Amanda said that Samantha's mother would often give Samantha like various different flower trimmings, and then Samantha was able to make them blossom and grow. 
Now, life for Samantha wasn't always easy, and as a lot of young adults and teens do, she got caught up with the wrong crowd and became involved with drugs. While in her younger years, Samantha attended rehab where she did become clean and was thriving once more. And she remained sober for six years. And just before she went missing, she relapsed and began using drugs again. There isn't a lot of information out there about when exactly Samantha got involved with drugs again or what made her relapse, but I do know that she was going through a divorce or had recently divorced from her husband, and that at the time she went missing, the two of them were sharing joint custody of their children. I saw that she had gone to court prior, and I'm assuming for custody agreements with her ex and all of that jazz that comes with getting a divorce. So I'm sure that maybe some of that had played a factor into her relapsing. We often see those who have struggled with addiction fall back into old habits when stressors in life flare up. Once more, that is not 100% on why she began started using drugs again. It was just kind of somewhat of an assumption that I had. But I do know that Samantha began dating someone who was very heavily himself involved with drugs. So that also could have played some sort of factor in her relapse. So Samantha started dating a man named Ren Hendrickson, who was 30 years old at the time, and he was also from Simsonia, Kentucky. According to Ren in an interview, he said that he and Samantha had grown up together and that she had practically known him his whole entire life. I guess they grew up in the same area, and Samantha was, at one point, very close with his sister. From what Ren was saying, it sounded like he and Samantha dated on and off when she was a teenager and before she got married to her husband. Now, From everything I gathered on this story, it seems like Ren's family was very known in the Simpsonia area, but also in the neighboring counties they were known. And they weren't known for anything good. They were known for drugs and a lot of them. Rumor has it that they cooked and sold meth. They also sold marijuana. They were heavy meth users themselves, and they were also known to be thieves. So all in all, Ren and his family just seemed kind of like bad news and were not liked within the community. So backing up a little bit, I mentioned that Ren had known Samantha for a long time. Now, I guess the two of them, after she got together with her husband, lost connection, and they didn't speak for years. But after her separation with her husband, and just before she went missing, Samantha reached out to Ren over Facebook Messenger. From the sounds of it, after they reconnected over Facebook, Samantha and Ren picked up from where they left off and started dating again. It was from this moment on that Ren said the two of them were once more inseparable and they spent practically every waking moment together until she went missing. Samantha was last seen by some friends and her family in and around the Simpsonia area on the early morning of March 27, 2018. The following day, March 28th, Samantha's family had tried to get into touch with her, but Samantha was not answering her phone, nor was she getting back to anybody. 
Once more, this was very unlike Samantha, who had constant communication with at least one person in her family every single day. Since her mom hadn't spoken to her for an entire day, and this was completely unlike Samantha, she took it upon herself to actually call the McDonald's where Samantha had been working just to see if anyone saw Samantha, if she was working that day, or if anyone had even spoken to her. And she did this on the night of March 28th. And they told her that Samantha never showed up for her shift that evening at 9 p.m., This was completely out of character for Samantha because she was a very, very, very reliable employee who only missed work when she absolutely had to. And if she did need to miss work, she always made sure to call out of work sick and would never just not show up for a shift. On the morning of March 29th, after continued silence from Samantha, her family reported her missing. One of the concerns that Samantha's family had was that maybe something had happened to her and she overdosed somewhere. Her family was very aware of Samantha's struggles with drugs again, and they were always extremely supportive of her and tried to get her the help and encourage her to get clean. Right before she went missing, her aunt Amanda was trying to encourage Samantha to get back into rehab. So in their mind, they are fearing that something like that happened to her or maybe she was somewhere and just needed help. I want to say that unfortunately, Samantha's disappearance was not taken seriously by the Graves County Sheriff's Department. Allegedly, the Sheriff's Department told Samantha's family that she was likely out on a bender and she would eventually resurface when she sobered up. And if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know how badly. I hate, hate, hate these types of situations. People who are known to have struggled with addiction are often swept under the rug and given minimal attention due to this stigma that they're an addict and they are likely just off on a bender. Valuable time gets wasted in these missing persons cases. We know that the first 48 hours are crucial for any missing persons case and for authorities to brush off a family's concerns just because they assume they're an addict off doing drugs is completely heartbreaking. The authorities in this case had no plans of doing any kind of searches for Samantha and just seemed to say, oh well, she's a druggie. Now, Samantha's family knew that something had to have been wrong, and quite frankly, authorities should have known something had to have been up because apparently Ren Hendrickson had been reported missing as well on March 28th, which once more was the day before her family made this report. So why did authorities not question why these two individuals who had a connection to each other had been reported missing? On March 28, 2018, just after 7 p.m., Ren Hendrickson's mother called 911 in a complete panic. She told the operator that she had received a FaceTime call from her son, Ren, and something was wrong and she was worried about him. She requested that someone go and immediately check on her son. According to his mother, Ren was on the side of the road called Dooms Chapel Road in Simsonia. 
He had told his mom that he had taken a bunch of pills and he was going to go into the woods where he was going to die. Now, you would think that hearing of this, that authorities would have rushed to the area and searched for Ren. It almost sounded like it was a suicide attempt or was going to be a suicide attempt, and usually they try and respond to those quickly. However, authorities decided not to go and search for Ren in the woods that night. Now, as I said, Ren had a past and his family had a past, and so he was very well known to the Graves County Sheriff's Office. He was also known to be considered dangerous to the police and had several encounters over the years with police where he was armed. The Graves County Sheriff's Office decided that it was not worth the risk to send officers into the dark woods looking for a man who was potentially armed and was known to be dangerous. And I do have to say, I can see why the authorities didn't respond to go search for Wren. But you would think that after two people were reported missing, that they would have perhaps responded at that point. But they did not until the night of March 29th after Samantha's car was found abandoned on the side of Dooms Chapel Road, which was where Wren had claimed he was going into the woods to die. And here is where things get real weird. It was around this time that Samantha's car was found that another missing persons report was made. This time, the report was made by Wren's biological father named Dusty Holder, and he was calling to report Samantha Sperry as missing. Yes, you heard that right. Dusty was not calling to report his son missing, but calling to report his son's girlfriend as missing. And what he had to say was extremely interesting. I am going to try and break this down as easily as I can and try not to be too confusing with this info, but Dusty apparently told authorities that on the night of March 27th, he had been with his son, Ren and Samantha, and all of them had gone over to Ren's uncle's house, who was Dusty's brother, and his name was Paul Holder. Now, according to disappearedblog.com, Dusty lived on his brother's property in an apartment. This property is located on Tim Road, which runs practically parallel with Doom's Chapel Road, and we already know that that is where Samantha's car was found abandoned. So while they were over at Paul's property, Ren and Samantha allegedly got into some sort of verbal altercation, and Ren stormed off taking Samantha's car and drove back to her house in Murray, where he was supposedly going to be staying or something, leaving Samantha behind with his father, Dusty. According to Dusty, after Ren left, he and Samantha got on a four-wheeler to go out for a ride around in the woods that is known as Kaler Bottoms. This area is known to be extremely swampy and heavily wooded. When they were out there, Samantha and Dusty supposedly got stuck and lost. Instead of trying to walk back the way that they had came or even try and find a way out, Dusty claims that he and Samantha had decided to stay at the four-wheeler for the night. 
Dusty said that that night it was raining, it was cold, and to keep warm, they kept the four-wheeler running and then huddled next to it for warmth with his jacket draped over the two of them. When the four-wheeler eventually ran out of gas, Dusty said that he tried to get a fire going for the two of them, but it was raining, so obviously the wood was wet, so they didn't get much of a fire going. Dusty said that when the sun came up, he and Samantha decided that they would start making their way back on foot, and they ended up coming out at a bridge on Highway 131. Where they allegedly came out of Kegler Bottoms is roughly a mile from the house that they had been at the day prior. Now, Dusty said that once they found their way back to the road, he suggested to Samantha that they walk down to the Kegler Mart to get warm, since they both were soaking wet, covered in mud, and probably near freezing to death. Dusty said that she told him no, that she was going to go walk to a family member's house nearby. So, Dusty allegedly walked north towards the mart, and Samantha headed south on Highway 131. Now, according to Dusty, this was the last time that he had seen or spoken to Samantha. So authorities now have Samantha's family saying she's missing. They now have this weird story from Dusty. So finally, on March 30th, so three days after she had last been for sure heard from, authorities decided to begin their search for her. And right off the bat, they called in backup to help them begin the search for Samantha and to scour the large swampy area for this four-wheeler as well in hopes that it would lead them to her. While they were searching Kegler Bottoms, Dusty was brought into the sheriff's department to speak with deputies and tell his story again. The second time he tells his story, he sticks with the same story. Everything matches up with his first account of the events, and they were able to get confirmation that he was at the Kegler Mart on the morning of March 28th. And that he did appear to have stayed in the woods that night. He was muddy, he was wet, and he just looked like he overall had a really rough night. Those at the Kaler Mart who had seen him hadn't seen Samantha, but that was to be expected since he said that she walked the opposite direction. But here is one of my issues with this story. Dusty claimed that they had made their way out of the woods sometime after sunrise. Now, I looked up what time the sun rose on that day in Simpsonia, Kentucky, and what I found was that the sun rose at 6.46 a.m. So we will say by the time they got to the Highway 131 that it had to have been maybe sometime shortly after 7 a.m. March 28th was a Wednesday, which means people were likely commuting to work, people were taking their children to school. It was in the morning, it was likely busy. Highway 131 is a busy highway that people travel on to get to work because it literally splits the county into two. With this many people traveling to work and out and about, you would think someone would have spotted a woman walking down the highway. And if Dusty's story is true, that they spent the night in the Kegler Bottoms and he himself was wet and muddy, she would have been too. Which means that she would have stuck out like a sore thumb to anyone who saw her walking down the highway. Yet not a single person has ever came forward to saying that they had seen her walking south on highway 
Highway 131, which begs the question, did Samantha ever actually make it out of the woods, or better yet, was she even in the woods to begin with? So after authorities spoke with Dusty, they asked him to lead them out to where the four-wheeler was to kind of have him retrace those steps and to actually corroborate his story. But before Dusty and the authorities were able to make it out to that spot where he had left the four-wheeler, another person involved in the search located it first. And when they found it, some things seemed to match up with what Dusty said had happened. The four-wheeler was in fact out of gas. Right beside the four-wheeler, there had been a small fire that had been burnt, just like Dusty said he tried to do. But there was noticeably a few things that were red flags for authorities. The first being that when they got to the four-wheeler, they had only found one set of footprints around the four-wheeler as well as leading away from it. Another thing that they found was that the fire that had been burned right beside the four-wheeler had two phones in it that had been burned as well, which means someone tried to burn them. Both of these phones were later identified as belonging to Dusty, but why would he have tried to burn them to begin with? Another question I have is, if you have these phones in your possession, why would you have not tried to have called for help instead of staying stuck, stranded all night long in the rain and the cold? And on top of only one set of footprints and these two phones being burned, authorities also found Samantha's car keys next to the four-wheeler on the ground too. Which this part doesn't quite make sense to me. If Ren took her car after their fight and drove it back to her home, why would her car keys be found on the ground near the four-wheeler? And honestly, I couldn't find a ton of information more about this other than NBC News reported it that the keys were found. So I'm not sure if maybe Ren had a spare set of keys to her car where he could have driven off in it. I don't know, but it doesn't seem right that her car keys were found out there, yet her car was allegedly taken by her boyfriend after a fight. Other than her car keys being out there in the woods, authorities couldn't find any other indication that Samantha had ever been out there at all. And I am just so stuck on the fact that there was only one set of footprints out there. And while all of this is going on, Ren is still nowhere to be found. As the media began circulating the story, there was just so much confusion on what was happening, who she was with in the woods, and it just was a whole entire mess of information that was being spread. And I think that is partly why the information on this case isn't very cut and dry, and there's a lot of unsure timelines. So after all of this was found with the four-wheeler, authorities were able to obtain a search warrant for Samantha's home in Murray which is where Ren had allegedly stayed on the night of March 27th. Items from the home were taken and sent off for testing at the Kentucky State Police Lab. However, they never released what they had taken or why. According to WPSD, Murray police found blood in Samantha's home and investigators also found what appeared to be blood in a car on the property of Ren's uncle Paul Holder. The blood was sent off for testing, but I wasn't able to find the results of those tests either. 
nor do I know if it was just trace amounts of blood or if it was a significant amount. There just really wasn't a lot of reporting on this topic, so unfortunately, I don't have any other information beyond that. So backtracking a bit, authorities searched on that March 30th. It didn't seem like they searched on the 31st, or at least I couldn't find information about additional searches. And I'm not sure if that's because to authorities, it didn't appear that Samantha was ever in the woods to begin with or what exactly. And it also didn't seem like any searches were done for Wren, even though he was still considered missing at this point in time as well. On April 1st, a second search was done of Kaler Bottoms, and once more, they found zero evidence or proof that Samantha was ever out there. But later that evening, Wren Hendrickson finally resurfaced. Apparently, Wren came out of the woods on Tim Road and showed up at his father's apartment. He was completely disoriented, he was dehydrated, he was hypothermic, and he had said that he had been lost in the woods for five days. Ren was transported to the hospital where he was treated for his injuries, but many people had hoped that Samantha had been with him all along and that she would resurface when he did, but unfortunately, that was not the case. The following day, Ren was brought into the station for questioning. When asked about the night of March 27th, Ren never once mentions an argument or a fight with Samantha, nor has Ren ever mentioned an argument in any of his media interviews or other interviews that he has done. And this is where things get a little muddy again, where you're just really not sure what the story was that was given because the media reported several different versions of events. The story that I saw most was that apparently on the 27th, Ren did in fact leave after an argument. The following morning, he went back to his dad's house, and this is when Dusty told Ren that Samantha was missing. Allegedly, Ren flipped out and completely lost his mind about Samantha. He left the home and drove to that Dooms Chapel Road and then made that FaceTime call to his mom. Apparently, during this FaceTime call, he told his mom that he thought Dusty was responsible for Samantha having gone missing. He then took the pills and then went into the woods. But again, there is so much misinformation that I'm really not exactly sure what the true story is here. Some say that Ren had no idea that she was missing until he stumbled back out of the woods after being gone for five days. Now, in June of 2021, Ren did an interview with WPSD, and I'm going to link the interview in the description of this episode so you can check it out if you'd like. It is an hour-long interview, but his story this time kind of mixes a few of the other stories together, and he also implies that his uncle Paul was present that night too. Now, at the beginning of this interview, he mentions that while at the house on Tim Road, he was messing around on the phone doing something that he shouldn't have been doing, which later he admits that he was trying to buy more drugs or work up a deal for more drugs, and so he wasn't really concerned with what Samantha was doing. He said Samantha approached him and told him that she was going to take a ride on the four-wheeler with his dad, Dusty. After she left, Ren said that it was like 10 minutes later that he was asked to leave because he was high. This is where I think he's implying that Paul was there and was the one to ask him to leave. 
Instead of going straight home, Ren said he drove a couple big loops around the area waiting for Samantha to get back because he didn't want to just leave her there. After driving past the house three different times and Samantha wasn't out there, he decided to head back to her apartment in Murray because he was getting low on gas. Ren assumed that Samantha would eventually use someone's phone to call him when she was ready to come home. The following day, Ren mentioned that he was needing to borrow money so he could get enough gas to get back to Paul Holder's house where he had left Samantha the night before. Ren said that while driving to the house, he spotted someone who he thought was following him on the road. In this interview, though, Ren admitted that he was high at the time and that he was likely just tripping out. So, on this drive back, he was paranoid and certain that someone was following him. At one point, he is forced to pull over because he's about out of gas once more, and he does so on Doom's Chapel Road. He was so paranoid of this person whom he thought was following him that once he pulled over, he ran straight into the woods. This is when he called his mom and said he was going to take a bunch of pills and die. And while this story sounds wild, I do think it could be plausible. Drugs can cause people to see things, feel, and think crazy things. He clearly was in a paranoid state and not in his right mind. Now, in this interview, it's clear at this point he wasn't aware that Samantha was missing and that he ran into the woods because he felt like he was being followed. Also, according to Ren, the pills that he took practically knocked him out, and that was why he was in the woods for those five days, not because he was lost. Finally, on the first is when he woke up and recalled running into the woods because he was being followed, so he stumbled his way back out and was taken to the hospital, and it was there that he claims he learned that Samantha was missing. Apparently, while in the hospital, police came into his room and began asking where Samantha was, and he was completely confused by this because the last thing he remembered was she was with his dad. After getting released from the hospital, Ren went in and answered more questions and then went to speak with his father, Dusty. Now, according to Ren, when he approached his dad and asked him what had happened, his dad practically told him to stop asking so many questions that he was asking way too many questions and to shut up. I guess Dusty told the story about getting stuck, and when Ren asked why he didn't call him, Dusty allegedly said he had lost his phone, which we know isn't true because both of his phones were found burned. So, who really knows what the true story is here? As I'm sure you're finding, this case is just full of a lot of unknowns and still so many questions. One thing I find completely odd about this entire case is the fact that Dusty reported Samantha missing. From his story, he said that she was going to be headed to a family member's house. How did Dusty know that she never actually made it? It wasn't like Dusty and Samantha were close and had regular contact and communication. So how in the hell did he know to report her missing? This just does not add up to me or make any kind of sense. Another issue with this entire story with both Ren and Dusty is that Samantha's car keys were found by the four-wheeler. 
how? How were those keys found there when Ren was the one who allegedly was driving the car around when she was out with his dad? And they were also found by the four-wheeler before Ren resurfaced on April 1st. But one thing I want to mention here is that through all of the press conferences the police have done, they have yet to mention the keys being found. Now, her family has shared on their Facebook post on on the Facebook page for Samantha about the keys being found there. And it was shared in one news article by NBC News. It would be nice to have gotten some sort of official release from the police to get all of the facts laid out and dispel any kind of rumors that keep circulating. It also would be nice to know for sure whether the keys were there or not, because this would prove whether Dusty and Ren's story of him leaving were true or not. Because the family have talked about them being found out there, I am going to lean towards the fact that they were actually found and that the stories from Ren and Dusty just aren't true or partial truths. But once more, lots of questions left unanswered. Now, her family did say that Samantha had family along the 131 highway, but it would have been in the direction of north, not south, from where Dusty had said they came out of the woods. Samantha grew up in this area. She knew her way around. She knew where her family lived from the Kalermar area. She would have known to go north, not south. Another thing that her family talks about is the fact that Samantha wouldn't have just willingly stayed out in the woods in the wet and the cold all night. This Kaler Bottom area was another one that Samantha would have been able to get out of and would have been able to figure out her way back, at least to the road. So add all of this with the fact that her footprints weren't even found around the four-wheeler, nobody had seen this woman covered in mud and wet walking along the highway, It just seems like she wasn't there to begin with. So where had she been? Not only have Ren, Dusty, and even Paul been questioned, but authorities also brought in Samantha's ex-husband and people within her family. From my understanding, her ex and her family were all pretty much ruled out of being involved or knowing anything pretty much immediately. Now, the authorities are saying that they've done numerous searches with helicopters, ATVs, cadaver dogs, and so on, but Samantha's family feels like maybe they haven't looked hard enough or fully done everything that they have claimed they have done for her case. In a crazy turn of events, authorities were searching on March 2nd, 2019 in an area off of Dooms Chapel Road, and they had a canine team out during this search. The dog ended up alerting of finding something, and to the surprise of the officers, the dog had found what appeared to be an underground bunker that was hidden by a fallen tree. After this discovery, an officer decided that he was going to go down inside of this bunker, unknown to him what could possibly be waiting, and he got down there and found that it was a 20 to 30 foot wide bunker with 10 foot ceilings and it was supported by plywood. He found that there was a twin-size mattress, and to everyone's surprise, there was also posters and decorations on these plywood walls. Now, the biggest surprise was that they found a man who was living in there by the name of Ernest 
Hendrickson. And yes, if you're wondering, he is related to Ren Hendrickson and Dusty and all of them. And not only that, but this man was a wanted fugitive who police had been searching for for quite a long while. And to top it all off, they found walkie-talkies that Ernest had been using to communicate with his family, and they would tell him when to make sure to hide and whatnot when authorities were on the property. Of course, with this finding, they were curious about the fact that maybe this man had information, maybe the family had other underground bunkers, but they learned that Ernest had still been incarcerated when Samantha had gone missing, so he didn't know anything or have any kind of helpful information. Also, Ernest was considered a fugitive because he didn't do his required drug treatment and completely hid out from his parole officer. But the fact that this family was willing to hide a fugitive and had this bunker had authorities wondering what more are they capable of hiding? What other secrets do they have hidden? Is there other bunkers around this property? Apparently, this area had been searched by authorities prior to finding this bunker, and not only for Samantha, but to look for Ernest as well. So it really leaves the question, is there more? Now, according to family, and I didn't see anything 100% solid on this, but according to her family, they did find a second bunker. However, I have no other information beyond that. Samantha's family has done everything that they can to bring awareness to her case. They have a Facebook page called Bring Samantha Home, which I will have linked in the description of this episode so you can go and follow and show support to her loved ones. They have done a lot of different things to help raise money for a cash reward, which is now at $10,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance. Samantha Rose Sperry was 25 years old at the time of her disappearance on March 27, 2018. If she's still alive today, she would now be 30 years old. At the time of her disappearance, she was 5'6 and weighed 120 to 130 pounds. Samantha is a white female with strawberry blonde hair, hazel eyes, and she was last known to be wearing a gray hoodie, gray stretch pants with a red waistband, and sneakers. She does have tattoos, including a rose with a skull on her right shoulder, two roses and the word rose on her right side of her lower abdomen, and a tiger lily and sunflower on her left thigh. Her ears are pierced and her eyebrow may be pierced. If you or anyone you know has information on her disappearance, you can call the Graves County Sheriff's Office at 270-247-4501. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. Make sure you are a part of our private Facebook group. You can find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you wish to follow myself personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, I will be back on Friday with another murder case for you. Until then, be aware and take care. 